All right, as I said, uh, if you'll turn with me to 2 Peter uh, chapter 3 tonight, we're going to attempt to make our way from verse 1 down to verse 13. And the focus of tonight, really, the main idea is just things that God wants me to remember. Things that God wants me to remember. As a believer today, really, you and I, we could, we could tell different stories and different instances in our lived experiences right now at work and all the different places that we go to that we live really in a post-Christian world, right? Everywhere around us, there seems to be different attacks on our faith, things that maybe make it really hard for us to live out our walk in Christ. There's people telling us that God isn't real. There's people telling us that we're confused about uh, gender uh, issues. There's people telling us that, I mean, just a a mile-long list of things And perhaps for you and I, it seems like the world is consuming us or the world is kind of or or evil is winning and triumphing because everywhere that you look, it may seem to you that there's really no hope. And what we're going to see today is that Peter says, listen, in the midst of this same kind of world, in the midst of this kind of persecution, although we may not be going through the same things that Christians in other nations are going through, certainly, or even the same kinds of things that these particular Christians in this context are going through. We're going through things, though, right? We're going through things that sometimes may feel like, are we winning? Where's this all going? And Peter would have us to think, or God would have us to consider that there's some things that we need to remember so that we don't get overcome by the world. I'll share one last thing before I begin. There's something that I have prepared here in terms of one more thing that God, uh, that was one of those things that somebody very close to me that was a believer uh, told me that I shouldn't ever forget. I really got a great opportunity before my grandfather passed away to go spend some time with him. And when we were uh, spending time together with him, I got to shoot a little sweet video. It was really cool. Um, And I asked him, hey, do you mind if I, you know, shoot a little video of you and uh, I could just record some questions that I, you know, like to ask you so that I could always remember, you know, these moments that we had together. And he was a believer. So it was really cool because as a believer, even though he was passing from this life to the next, he was living with so much hope. He was very happy. The man was 99 years old. So, you know, I got a long way to go probably. I don't know unless Jesus comes back. But very witty, very strong-minded to the very end, uh, always a jokester, things like that. And especially in his relationship with Jesus, he was just strong. Like, he knew where he was going to go. He wasn't scared. He wasn't fearing anything. And so I asked him, I said, I call him Papa. That's what we called him. I said, Papa, what would you tell me is the thing that I have to remember the most? 
I mean, you've lived 99 years in this world. You're a believer. What's the thing that I should take, you know, from your life that you would say, hey, always remember this thing no matter what? And I have him on video, and he shares very, in a very sweet way. He basically shares just very clearly this. He, he says, all you need to know, you already know. You know Christ. Now just live for him and go tell everybody about him. Real simple. I was thinking it was going to be like way more profound than that. <laughs> you know? But it was that simple, really. And it had a great impact on me because I, I realized that day as many times, I don't know how many of you have gotten to be close to saints that are passing into eternity and that are secure in their faith in Christ. But I realized that day from my grandfather that he really does believe and he really did believe and he really is now in glory with God. But he believed in his life that he was going to go see Jesus. That no matter what was happening to his body or what was happening in the world, this was a reality that gave him peace and gave him joy and gave him security. And this is the kind of thing that Peter is trying to point us to tonight in God's word. He wants us to know that in the midst of persecution, in the midst of all the things that could be going on, although we might not be getting, you know, hung for Jesus or, you know, all these kind of things that are going on all over the world. There's some real things going on right now in, in all of our lives, in our children's lives. And Peter has really a timely word for us because God's word is timely always. Peter knows in his own personal life, he knew from the beginning when Jesus restored him after the resurrection, he knew that his life wasn't going to end in this, in this world. It, it wasn't going to end well from the world's point of view. Jesus tells him that he's going to die, and he's going to die not a good death. And at this point, he knows that the end is coming soon. And he urgently wants to kind of like impart on the church and on the saints and on the believers that are doing all these different types of persecution. He, he urgently wants to impart on them the, the transcendent truth of the gospel to the believers. In 2 Peter uh, Beginning uh, in Second Peter 1, chapter 1, beginning at verse 12, look at what he says. He tells us what his task is. He says, therefore, I intend always to, look at the word, remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it's right as long as I am in this body. See, he's referring to this body because he knows that he's going to have a fully resurrected body. See, he's always pointing to this hope. He always lives uh, the life today in light of the life that he's living today, but the life that Jesus is going to give him tomorrow. He's always talking in this way. Verse 13 again, I'm sorry. I think it is right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. There goes that word again, reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. So see, and he finishes off in verse 15, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Just another way, once again, recall another way to say remi reminder or remember these things. 
See, so he knows the end is coming for him, and he wants to impart these truths because he knows that the believers that are in his time, and indeed the believers that are in our time right now, they're enduring some things that can challenge them to think, you know, am I really living for the resurrected body that Christ promised? Is this really a thing that I could place my hope in? Is this really something that I could wake up every morning and say, this is real. I can take this to the bank no matter what's going on. I'm going to have a resurrected body. I'm going to be with Jesus. All the, thi- all the injustice of the world will, you know, will be resolved. And these things are just temporary. He wants them to remember and recall and know no matter what that this is true. So that they can wake up every morning valiantly and face the world that they live in. Don't we need that today? We need that. So the first thing that Peter wants us to remember now turning to chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. He wants us to remember number 1 that every Christian should remember the reality of God's works and God's words. Specifically God's word, the Bible. Let me elaborate. Beginning at verse 1, he says this. I'll stop at 4. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder, you see, that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this first, uh, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. See, he wants us to remember here very clearly in these first four verses. He wants us to remember, number one, in verses one through four, he wants us to remember that we ought to have confidence and assurance in God's words. In other words, all the things that God has said, we ought to have confidence and assurance in them. God is not a liar. God has proven himself to be trustworthy. God has worked in in human history. And he's saying, listen, he's reminding us that God's word through the prophets and the apostles, God's words are sufficient for us to believe and to trust God. You see, God has made promises and he's kept them. So Peter's saying, listen, all the things that God has said in his words through the prophet, uh, through the prophets and now through the apostles, listen, they will come to pass. They have come to pass. So you can be assured. You can have confidence. You can know that the word of God, especially in the Old Testament that he's referring to when he says the prophets, everything that God has said has come to pass. So this should give us confidence in the present because God has done what he said he was going to do always. And he's promising That he is going to resurrect every single one of us in here. He will give us a resurrected body. I always wonder what that really is going to be like. Don't you? If you ever get down, just think about that reality. That one day we will all be in eternity together with Jesus. And we will have a resurrected body. 
No more pain. No more hurts. Every tear, as the Bible says, will be wiped away. God's word is sufficient, and we should be confident in that. That's what he wants us to remember. In 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 16 to 20, he reminds them that all that God, of, of all that God has said to the prophets and how it has come to pass. Therefore, he's making a logical argument. I'll, I'll read it to you in a second from uh, chapter 1, verses 16 to 20. He's basically making a logical argument. Since all that God has said to the prophets has come to pass, therefore, they would do well to continue to place their faith in God's word and God's promises today. You see, in uh, beginning of verse 16, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised uh, myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word uh, more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. See, this is the thing that he wants us to try to really understand here. He wants us to really understand that if we're going to face the struggles and the attacks uh, on the faith today and the attacks on our life and the attacks on our hope, we need to remember very desperately that Jesus is real that he was there and that he did the things that he said he was going to do. They're, they're, they're remembering the time that they themselves were there and reminding the believers and stirring their minds up to say, listen, we were there. We were there when God said, this is my one and only son in whom I am well pleased. We were there. Remember this. Let it be part of your hope. Let it be part of what stirs you up and gives you the strength that you need to live every day. That this is the God that you have placed your faith in. And that the promises that God makes in his words are true and sufficient for you to believe and trust. That's what he's talking about when he refers to the word there. Uh, He also tells us in verse 3 of chapter 3, going back there. Very clearly, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. So he's telling us, listen, you got to anticipate that in the world that you live in, people are going to mock you. People are going to hate you. People mocked and hated Jesus, did they not? And Jesus himself tells us in the Gospels that They're going to mock and hate us because we're of him. Do you understand? But Peter's saying, listen, expect it. And if you can expect it and anticipate it because God's word is true, because it's sufficient for you to believe, because God has acted in human history on your behalf and on my behalf, that everything that he says about the present and the future will come to pass. And that will give you the hope that you need, the strength that you need to carry on today. 
He's saying, listen, people are going to mock you. People are going to treat you bad. People are going to call you out. Sometimes those people are going to be people that you think are believers. Unfortunately, right? Sometimes those people are going to be the ones closest to you. And it hurts. But Peter says, anticipate it. Get your strength from God. Lean on his promises and his word because they're sufficient for you to believe and trust. And they will give you strength for today. He also wants us to have confidence in Jesus' works. Listen to what it says in beginning of verse 5 to 7 of chapter 3. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, uh, of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and of uh, destruction of the ungodly. See, he wants Christians to remember that those who mock are making a critical miscalculation a crucial miscalculation. They are ignoring the activity, the real activity of God in human history. He wants us to remember that. He wants us to remember that we're on the right side of history, that believing in God's sufficient word and trusting in him is more than just fairy tales. These are things that really happened. How easily do we believe and recall and remember and recount the things done by the rulers and kings of this world, right? We're always giving honor to things that have happened in the past, conquerors and things like that. And yet the former work of God seems to be easily dismissed as an allegory. Have you ever heard somebody say something like this? Uh, Yeah, you know, uh, this whole Noah's Ark thing, it's just... A story, just something to get us to believe some kind of moral truth that we should live by. But, you know, we don't really have to take God at his word that this was like a real event in human history or that Noah was a real person. We can just decide to believe that there's something for us to learn here. This is kind of like what Peter is getting at here. Not only is he getting at the reality that The people that are mocking us and scoffing at us are making a crucial miscalculation about the real things that God has done in human history. But he's saying, listen, I want you to remember that these former things, they really happened. And so because the former things really happened, the future things are going to really happen as well. So put your trust in God. When we grasp the reality that the former promises of God have come to pass and that the scripture is true and trustworthy, it gives us the confidence that we need to live in a post-Christian world. That's what Peter would have us to believe. That's what God would have us to believe. Put your confidence in the things that God has done and the things that God has said. He's not going to let you down. In beginning of verse 8, our uh, next point here is that every Christian should remember the Lord's patience. 
Every Christian should remember the Lord's patience. Turn with me to uh, verse 8 of this same chapter 3. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Listen, he wants the Christian to remember that in this kind of post-Christian world that we live in, he wants us to remember the Lord's patience. Because there's an aspect of not only enduring the things that, that, are, that are coming our way and being able to thrive because of the sufficiency of God's promises and God's word, like we just talked about, but he wants us to be on mission. And he attaches this mission to the fact and reality of God's patience with us. Notice that he says his, patient with, his patience with you. Because God is a God of patience. Peter himself would know because he's experienced this patience of God firsthand. Though his own faults, through his own faults and failures, Peter has experienced the patience and the forgiveness and the endurance of God's love for him. The patience of God with, uh, with us marks the patience of God that we impart to a world full of scoffers. Do you get a look? Do you notice that right after he talks about the scoffers, he talks about the patience of God with us? Because he's not only saying that we need to endure and thrive and we can do that because we can trust and believe God's word. But he's also saying, listen, you know what the antidote for these scoffers is? Go and live your life on mission for Christ. Go and and preach the gospel to them in how you act and how you pursue them with loving patience like God met you. Some of us have been believers here for many years. Some of us have been believers, I don't know, perhaps for days. I'm not assuming anything. Some of us are still growing in the faith. But we all have one thing in common. We remember, if you're a believer in here tonight, how patient God was with us. When everything just falls in its place and you come to belief and salvation in Jesus Christ, and it just floods you, the love and patience of God, doesn't it? Don't you remember that time when you said, oh, wow, I can't believe that God was so patient with me. He waited for me. He pursued me through his word and his people. And what Peter is saying here is, listen, the patience that marks God is the same patience that should mark the believer as we live in a post-Christian world. One thing that uh, one of my friends that's dear to me always says, especially as a dad, because as a parent, sometimes we tend to be impatient. We want our kids to get it. We want our kids to love God and to live for God. And sometimes we don't realize that, listen, it took us a long time to love God and to live for God. Perhaps I'm only speaking about myself, but that's the case in general. And my friend always said this thing. He says, Rob, you know, when you're dealing with, you know, whether your son or your daughter or whatever it is, remember that if they're not a believer, the standards by which a believer lives by, the things that they do, the character of a believer is not going to exist in their life. 
they're not going to understand that language many times. They're not going to want to live for God. You have to be patient like God is. Continue to pursue them. Continue to love them. No, I'm not saying give them a pass on sin or, or tell, you know, or don't hold them to account for the things that they do. No, but what Peter is saying here about right after he uses this, uh, he gives us this uh, idea about the scoffers that we need to be aware of is, listen, you need to be on mission for God. I need to be on mission for God. And part of that, in, the ingredients to that mission is the patience that we need to have for the people that are around us every day. The minute you lose your patience, there's somebody waiting at your job, at school, at wherever you may be to say, I knew it, I knew it. They're just like all the other ones. They don't have any patience. But the minute you go further than anyone has ever gone to touch them with the love of God, that could be the day of salvation for that person. And we all know and have tasted that for those of us who are believers in Christ today. So be patient because that's the mark of God. He wants us to remember this in a post-Christian world. We have to be patient. He, ha- he wants us to remember in verse 9 that people matter to God. Let me read verse 9 for us one more time here. Uh, in verse 9, the Bible says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You see, he wants us to understand in verse 9 that people matter to God. He sees things in the light of eternity. And he's saying, believer, listen, you have what you need to endure today and thrive today in God's word and God's promises and in God's work. But listen, you also, as you interact with this post-Christian world, And the people in it that are attacking your faith and not living for God and scoffing at you. You need to remember that those people matter to God. For example, what if there's someone in your circle, and this may be a hot button, that is living a life with same-sex attraction to somebody? What will you do? How will you reach this person that God loves and is being patient with them so that they may repent and have new life and be saved in him? Will you avoid them at all costs? Will you pray for them when no one's looking and in your own time earnestly that God will give you an opportunity to share the gospel in a way that breaks through to their heart? Or will you lack patience and the compassion of God? This is part of our mission as believers. He, he wants us to be these kinds of people. In John 21, verse 7, I'm, we're not going to go there tonight, but uh, it begins kind of the story. There's some crumbs there of Peter's restoration story. He refers to him, even though Peter has already uh, sinned against God and uh, cursed God, so to speak, and and decided not to stand for Jesus and cowers away from him. Listen, he refers to Peter and the other disciples that are there, most who left Jesus kind of to go handle things on his own. He refers to them as his children. Isn't that amazing? He refers to them as his children. You know why? Because people matter to God. 
And in this particular case, even though Peter wasn't restored yet and he would end up having this conversation where Jesus, Jesus fully restores him back into uh, close and intimate communion with him, he refers to Peter and the others as his children, a term of endearment, something that draws them in. And can, I can imagine Peter at this time having done all the things that he did to Jesus, thinking, I'm not worthy of his love. But because God is patient and people matter to him and his dear children matter to him, that probably blew his mind and drew him closer to Jesus because of that. What, what does that look like for, or what does that look like in your life and in my life? Maybe it's getting on our knees a little bit more for our children, for our coworkers, for our wife, for our husbands. Maybe it's, as James said earlier, losing the battle, as they say, so that we can win the war, which is their heart for the gospel. The last uh, thing that we're going to hit tonight uh, that Christians should remember or that God would have us remember is this from verses 10 through 13. Uh, God wants every believer to remember the urgency of his work, the urgency of his work. Turn with me to verse 10. He says this, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. What a promise. God wants every believer to know the urgency of his work. In verses 10 to 12, we see that he wants us, he, he makes the, uh, he, he points out that when the Lord comes this second time, there is going to be judgment. And, and the reason that he wants us to, to understand this is that as we're living our life in a post-Christian world, he wants us to be fully focused on the main thing, which is to live for God and point people to God. To be believers that are patient, to be believers that, that care about the people that matter to God, the lost ones, the beloved ones, the children of God, the ones that are running for him, all of them. God wants them to hear the gospel. God wants them to truly repent and have a relationship that's close and intimate with him. He wants them to not only see their brokenness in the light of the world, but he wants them to see their brokenness in the light of what he has done and accomplished already. And he's saying, listen, the day of judgment is going to come. There's an urgency to this matter. And finally, in verse 13, he wants us to know that when the Lord comes, there will be justice. So for the believer living in a post-Christian world, guess what? I leave my battles in God's hands. There will be justice. See, this is the thing. Even if we lived 99 years in this world, 
like my grandfather. Papa. It's too short a time compared to eternity. So why hold a grudge? Why want to win every battle here and now? Why don't we just be consumed and overcome by the love of God for the people that matter to God, which are his dear children like we are here today, but also the lost that he is desperately trying to seek out? Why not join God on his mission and remember that in the end we win? And that's enough to help us to thrive today. And give us what we need for each day, whether the day is a great day, a good day, or a really hard day. We win. We're on the side of God. He will make everything right. This should help us to not be easily offended because we revert to knowing the experienced patience that God has had with us. And we extend that patience to the world that is in desperate need of that same salvific love that God has given us. Hopefully you've been encouraged from God's word. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you that through Peter, you remind us of the things that matter the most. You remind us, God, that your works and your word are sufficient to trust and believe. The things that you've done and the things that you will do will come to pass because you're sovereign. God, you remind us that we need to remember that you are a patient God, that people matter to you, and that you have done everything that needs to be done so that we can have the salvation that we so desperately need. Lord, help us as we go out into the world to live on mission for you, to not look at this post-Christian world as an opportunity to gripe and complain and moan about how things are so hard, but to be able to thrive, Lord, in the spirit that you have given us because of what your son has done and be a light in the darkness and even in the darkness of our rooms at night as we lay our heads, that we might cry out to you on behalf of those who have yet to believe and trust in your Son. Thank you, God, for tonight, for your word, and for your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.